Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Good morning. It's the 14th of December, 2022. I'm Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. I don't know about you, but (laughs) December 14th, that means that um, Christmas Eve is only 10 days away. I know. I'm like a kid. I'm just giddy. Uh, So I hope that um, whatever's happening in your life, you can pause today and anticipate the good news of great joy for all people. Yes, Christ has come. But Christ also comes. And for many, many people who do not know him, um, Christmas is a real opportunity for you and I to share the good news of great joy for all people. And not just for all people, but for specific individual people, right? And so if you know someone who does not yet know the good news of great joy for them, let me encourage you to, um, you know, don't wait to find a mountain to go tell it from. Just tell it from wherever you are. Um, Maybe you're going to tell it from the valley. Maybe you're going to tell it from the shadow of the valley of death. Maybe you're going to tell it in the midst of a generation of people walking in great darkness in order that people could see the light. Like nothing has changed since the proclamation of the good news of great joy for all people when it was first told. Lo, those many years ago. Let us be the people who are telling it today. All right. Today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet... So that's that's notable. Just just note that. All right. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now, who was Isaiah talking about? And then who is Mark talking about? Who is this passage of scripture talking about? Well, talking about John the Baptist. And you'll note here that as these are the opening verses of the gospel of Mark, you probably notice that, hey, there's no birth narrative here. There's no traditional birth announcement here. There's no shepherds. Uh, there, there's no wise men. What's going on? Why does Mark just jump right in um, with John the Baptist? Well, John, John's gospel begins with a prologue about Jesus' eternal nature as the word of God, the light of the world, establishing from the onset who Jesus is, themes of life and death, darkness and light, uh, belief and non-belief. Matthew and Luke give us the traditional birth announcement narratives that we um, enjoy annually this time of year. But Mark jumps right in. He jumps right into the story as Jesus emerges into ministry. And he talks about the messenger, the messenger who's going to prepare the way of the Lord. That is the one known as John the Baptist. We know a lot about him. We know a lot about his parents, Zacharias and Elizabeth, both of the priestly line of Aaron, And so there we would go all the way back to the days of Moses, because Aaron is Moses's older brother. We would go back to um, the the very first Levitic priest, the Levites. Um, Elizabeth and Zacharias are both descendants of Aaron. They both come from priestly families. 
Elizabeth, we know, is the cousin of Mary, who is, we know, the mother of Jesus. This is a family with a good and godly heritage. These are amazing people, faithful to the Lord. So um, we'll find some time today to talk a little bit more about Zacharias and Elizabeth because they are two of my favorite characters of Christmas. But Jeff Bilbro is waiting right now to talk with us about uh, some headline news of the day. We're going to turn first to a question about um, the end of life and the nation to our north, the nation of Canada. Um, And we're going to examine for a moment what euthanasia has done to Canada. Um, People in Canada can access death on demand um, at ever-increasing rates for an ever-broadening number of reasons. And we're going to talk about that next. Who, who holds in their hands both life and death? It's not, it's not you and I. It's, uh, it's God. Jeff Bilbro will be here next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Jeff Bilbro is back. You can find him at jeffbilbro.com. You can also find what he is writing and aggregating at The Water Dipper. Jeff, good morning. Good morning, Carmen. So you and I have both read this piece by Russ Douthat in the New York Times. Um, It is about um, how many people in Canada are now accessing um, the legal access to suicide, Um, So they call it the MAID, Medical Assistance in Dying, MAID, um, and and bring to us this particular story because people in Canada are now accessing um, assisted suicide for any number of reasons, uh, and not all of them are actually terminally ill. Right. I mean, this has been widely reported, I think, and uh, it's a rapidly growing um, problem in Canada where because the program has been around for a few years, but last year, I think more than 10,000 people um, took advantage and uh, committed, you know, committed suicide. And part of the problem is many people who suffer from mental illness or depression are um, ending their lives and uh, also young people and maybe most, I don't know that there's hard to quantify, but um also quite disturbingly, people who are just poor and mm. are having trouble accessing health care that they need or finding stable housing are being recommended to um, to enter this MAID program and in their lives. And I think uh, it's, and as a lot of people like, like Ross have pointed out, it's really quite tragic and um, dystopian to, to see people's lives weighed in kind of an economic um, scale and and then ended. Yeah, and this this use of Canada's um, assisted suicide law um, uh, in relationship to people who are poor, I, I, I will tell you, this is um, this is particularly concerning to me. Yeah. Um, they have apparently, you know, people who are approaching the age of 65 or now 65 and in Canada those are referred to as pensioners and if they view their future as well not as good 
as it would have been if they had been allowed to, I guess, continue working. Um, they don't think they're going to be able to live the way that they want to live on uh, a national pension in a socialist under a socialist system. And so they're applying to end their lives. And and at least in some cases, they're getting the signatures that are required to allow that to happen. Yeah, and it's it's sad. And I think it's a reminder that Christians need to uh, articulate more clearly to ourselves and to our neighbors you know, what the value and meaning of a human life is and that it's not, um, you know, it's not the kind of thing that we can weigh in financial scales and that the significance of our life uh, is not found in possessions or quality of life, maybe in some of the ways that it's that it's measured in our materialistic culture. But this mm-hmm. is kind of the logical result of, fi- you know, financializing human lives. Yeah, and suggesting that every single person is, uh, you know, only as valuable as what they contribute or bring. Right. Um, that there's like a, a a pragmatic functionalism. I'm thinking here exactly. about, um, you know, about the the way people think even about the value of children. Like, only if it's valuable to me to have a child now, you know, should I bring a should I bring a child into the world? Otherwise, I'm going to eliminate that person's life. Like, I the conversations that we're having about the commodification of children is is similar in nature like this is a conversation about life and death and the future of western civilization as we have known it um for many generations now there used to be a value of life for life's sake as if uh, we understood um not only individually but collectively that god is the giver of life and and God is sovereign over it from conception to natural death. And now at both ends of life, and frankly, at many points in between, we regard ourselves as sovereign over life and death. And we are the ones who, um, you know, who are Lord of it. Like it, it, is, a, it is a serious departure from uh, goodness, beauty, and truth when we have a culture that is now so largely departed um, from belief in God. Yeah, and in some ways it's a return to the pre-Christian cultures and civilizations where babies were abandoned if they weren't valued or old people were abandoned. And Christians were known for caring for the sick, caring for the old, caring for the the, the people that um, weren't valuable according to a, the culture's metrics. And maybe in a kind of post-Christian age, there's a possibility for us Christians to be known uh, for that commitment once again, but it's uh, it's going to require us re- recovering a Christian account of human value and dignity, and not just getting caught up in a, um, a pragmatic or utilitarian understanding that our, our lives are only valuable if we're making measurable contributions to society or something. I think a lot of self-examination on this point would be really helpful. So thank you for introducing. The topic this morning. Let's um, let's continue to plumb uh, to plumb the depths of this conversation in the weeks and months to come. We are talking with Jeff Bilbro. Um, you can find uh, his aggregated water dipper at frontporchrepublic.com. We're going to continue our conversation with Jeff in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Thanks so much for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Hey, I'm Susie Larson. Hey, if you enjoy what you're listening to here, would you consider subscribing to other great Faith Radio podcasts like mine? Search Susie Larson Live at myfaithradio.com. 
or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day. It's the most wonderful time of the year. We're talking with Jeff Bilbro. Um, Jeff, you have highlighted uh, an article called Brokenism. Um, so let me just start with this question. What's the most vital debate in America today? Yeah, so Elena Newhouse argues, uh, and she's written about this before, so this is kind of a follow-up to a very widely read essay she wrote last year, I think. Uh, but she argues that maybe the most fundamental debate debate today is between people who think that our institutions and society is kind of fundamentally broken and needs uh, to be rebuilt from the ground up. And those people who think that um, they're just minor cracks and we can uh, repair and uh, rebuild what we've got, but we don't need to radically rethink um, the foundations for these institutions. And uh, yeah, so I, I guess how broken... <laughs> How broken are things and how radical is the repair that's necessary? All right. Where would you weigh in on this? How broken are things and how radical is the repair that's necessary? I mean, I'll just, I mean, I'll, I'll I just think, straight up ask the question. Like, where, yeah, where are you on I, this? I tend to think it's pretty broken. And, <clears throat> you know, as Christians, we can recognize that the world has fallen and that, that uh, sin um, damages all aspects of uh, human society. And... What I love in this essay, you know, she, she's taking, she's a Jew and she's coming at it from a Jewish perspective. And what I love in the essay is where she lands. She says, once we spend, stop spending our time being outraged, mm. uh, we realize how much energy we have for whatever work we want to do. And I might just sort of revise that by saying, once we spend our time, stop um, being surprised at brokenness or surprised and horrified by how evil those people over there are. Um, and recognize, well, that's what we should expect in a fallen world, then we are freed to devote our energies and attention to the work of um, repair and redemption that God is calling us to take up here and now. So I think so much of our society is built on, um, you know, drawing our attention to things that are horrifying and outrageous. And that can be a kind of distraction treadmill and, um, really take our focus off of the real work we're called to, to do, the work of loving our neighbors and tending um, our local communities or the places where we have influence. So um, maybe it's a way of sidestepping the question and saying you can kind of, regardless of how broken it is, at least recognizing that um, the problems run deep kind of takes um, takes our attention away from shoring up institutions to um, to rebuilding them on the right foundation. Um, I'm reminded of um, a few things as you say all that. That I'm reminded of Jesus just po absolutely pointing out that the poor would always be with us, yeah. and that there's a reason for that. Like there's there's a yeah. reason that um, Jesus doesn't just heal it all when he was here and make it, you know, make it all perfect right then, that the kingdom of heaven exists already, and yet it is still coming, and we have an opportunity to demonstrate it in the midst of a culture that does not yet believe. Like, all of that is somehow important to the way, um, you know, this cosmic narrative is all unfolding over time, um, certainly under God's sovereignty, but absolutely subject to 
the will of every human being um, alive on the planet. And so um, I think all of that is wound up in there somehow. I'm also thinking about Mother Teresa, who, mm. and I won't get this, I, I won't even try to like quote it. I'll just describe what, uh, how she would respond when people would say, you know, like, how do you keep doing this every day? Like, how do you keep going out there and picking up the people off the, you know, uh, out of the ditches that other people are throwing away? And, and her response was, why are you so surprised that people are throwing people away? Like what, like she, she operated out of this expectation that every single day there was going to be somebody out there for her to pick up. Like she, she operated out of the expectation of every single day discovering a person um, whom the world had discarded, who needed an expression of God's love and to be brought into um, you know, the fold of those who love God and therefore love people. And so I think that's what you're ta- what you're pointing to yeah, is a fundamental absolutely. shift, a fundamental shift in how we see the world and and ourselves in it. Like, who are we and what are we here to do? Um, if it's not it, we have to get beyond thinking it's about us and what we're going to accomplish and who we're going to become and, you know, how much influence we're going to have. And instead, it's about seeing every day those opportunities that are in our path to do all the good that we might do on behalf of God in the life of another person. Like that's a fundamental shift in, in seeing ourselves and who we are and why we're in the world. Yeah, exactly. And if we don't expect the world to be uh, the kingdom of God already realized, then uh, if we expect it to be broken and marked by sin, then our eyes will be open uh, to how God might be calling us to serve and minister Every day. Amen. Um, Okay. um, The world is at some level looking for a savior, even people who aren't looking for Jesus. Um, um, Are soybeans um, and ultimately tofu the savior of the planet? (laughs) Uh, John Lewis Stimple is such a delightful writer and uh, has such a great perspective. And his, uh, his, I guess, expose or analysis of the economics of tofu if you if you just kind of step back and look at the whole process, is uh, just a fun read. But I think again, it's a, a reminder that there's no kind of silver bullet solution. That there's no way that we can, um, yeah, not not make, not have an impact on how we eat. And we should stop trying to pretend that sh- that tofu or soybeans for sure are some kind of. Um, salvation product uh so he just talks about how you know if you raise livestock cows sheep on grass in responsible ways they are remarkably good for um local ecosystems and the way that we raise soybeans right now uh, and maybe the, the way they have to be raised is remarkably damaging and so uh we should we should look a little bit uh, skeptically at claims about how environmentally friendly <clears throat> tofu might be. Yeah. All right. So if you're saying to yourself, hey, I want to read the articles that you guys are talking about. Well, I have them linked in the show notes for today's program, but you can also get them um, in Jeff's aggregated The Water Dipper, which is posted at FrontPorchRepublic.com. Jeff, as always, um, thank you so much for joining us. It is a delight. Thank you, Carmen. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio.
were reflecting um, at the opening of the hour on today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day um, from the opening verses of the Gospel of Mark, and it points to a prophecy from the book of Isaiah fulfilled in the person of John the Baptist. And so um, I was in the midst of talking about John's parents, Zacharias and Elizabeth. And of course, I had more to say than I had time in which to say it. So I'm going to say a little bit more about that here. Um, Both Zacharias and Elizabeth are in the lineage of Aaron. Aaron is the very first in the Levitical priesthood. You can read about him in the book of Exodus. He is um, Moses's older brother by just a couple of years. Aaron's wife, I find this an interesting note since we're talking about Elizabeth and Zacharias. Um, Aaron's wife was Elisheba, which would be Elizabeth in Hebrew. Um, you certainly know his blessing, the the Aaronic blessing in Numbers chapter 6, because we talk about it frequently, and I think it gives us insight into Aaron's character and his ways. It is from Aaron that we receive the blessing the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So fast forward from Aaron, put him at the uh, put him at the top of the family tree and work your way down 1330 some years through the line of Aaron. And eventually you will have somewhere down there, really, 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 really far, um, you'll have a couple of characters. Elisheba, um, and Zacharias. You will have Elizabeth and Zacharias. They will be both somewhere in that giant family tree um, of, uh, of Aaron and Elisheba. And so that's who we're talking about. We're, we're literally talking about um, people who are in the line of Aaron. And so they're literally both priestly. And so maybe it's no surprise that they are God-fearing, wonderful people. Um, Their names actually mean God remembers and the oath of God. Luke says of them, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah and his wife Elizabeth, also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were now both very old. So um, a lot of things to unpack there. You know, what is this division of a BJ? What did it mean for Zacharias to have the opportunity um, when his division was on duty? What did it mean for him to have the opportunity to serve as the priest before God? Uh, He was chosen by lots, it says, and um, according to the custom of the priesthood, he went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense and when that time came, you know, everybody's praying outside, and that's when Zacharias has this uh, encounter with the angel that announces that his wife Elizabeth is going to conceive and bear a son, and they are to name him John. Um, it's just, it's an extraordinary day. It's an extraordinary day in their life, and it comes um, as the fulfillment of the promise of God delivered through the prophet Isaiah You should read Isaiah 40 to 55 sometime during this season. It's God's promise of restoration and deliverance, redemption for his people Israel. And John is the one who prepares the way for the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And John is given as a sacred trust to parents 
whose names are Zacharias and Elizabeth. They are some of my favorite Christmas characters. We're going to talk more about them throughout the morning today because I have lots of notes um, on them. But right now we're going to turn to our conversation with Ruth Kramer as we consider what in the world is going on in the world. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. To boldly go where no one has gone before. Ruth Kramer is joining us again today from Mission Network News. Good morning, Ruth. Good morning. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. Thank you so much. Um, talk with us about um, your coverage in Afghanistan. Um, we we just we have such tragic news coming out of this part of the world. Yeah, I you know um, it's no surprise really that the Taliban has started to make good on the the threats that they've been making. I know that when they came back in to to uh, Afghanistan after the U.S. pullout, they promised to be a kinder, gentler um, Taliban, but they are who they are. So it really should be no surprise that they're back to um, harsh public sentencing, sentencing um, floggings, public floggings, public executions. First public execution took place just last week, and or just this week, I should say, and it was the father of the murder victim um, that actually shot and killed the murderer. Uh, and this was because the mother uh, said that she asked for an execution. The victim's mother asked for an execution after the Taliban approached her about punishment. Um, this is something that should horrify us because of what it stands for. Um, it's kind of a, a thing where Taliban has been promising to be living under an extreme form of Sharia law, and now they're making good on that. So when you're talking about um, uh, anything or anyone that doesn't live by the same ideology, they're targets. And we've already been seeing where Taliban uh, has been tracking down the Christians, because after a census, um, uh, I don't know, recent census, maybe 2020, um, Mm -hmm. Taliban knew where all the Christians lived. So once the pullout actually happened in September, they started tracking people down and basically saying you either return to Islam or you leave or you die. Um, This is not something that's unusual. However, I think it bears watching because we as believers can be praying alongside what's happening in Afghanistan. There is a body of Christ. Uh, It is far, far underground, but they do need our prayer support. They do need us to intervene. Uh, on their behalf to speak up for them because they have no voice of their own. Um, World Mission is another ministry that's uh, training church leaders to lead the Afghan church. And there's also gospel workers that remain behind uh, after the the pullout and after everybody seemed to have fled, anyone who was going to leave left. Um, There still are gospel workers that remain. Um, Obviously, they have to be very careful about what they're doing. So we want to encourage you to be looking at these kinds of headlines, even as we look at what Sharia law is and what Afghanistan is doing, what the Taliban is doing in Afghanistan, to be praying for the body of Christ there, to be praying that the gospel touches the hearts of the Taliban, because we do have stories about that as well, uh, where prayer has, has seen fruition, where God has brought Taliban members to evangelists and said, uh, you know, made the introduction and um, what you've seen is it is is a changed life, uh, unlike anything that we ever thought could possibly happen. Um, so, this is something where 
the Holy Spirit is active and moving, um, even though it feels like this is an impossible headline to deal with because it feels like, you know, as one person, what can you possibly do that will change what's happening in Afghanistan? What is changing uh, Taliban? What is coming uh, to protect the body of Christ? Um, and and really what, what the, the ministries that are there are saying is the first line, first and last line of defense is prayer. So there's also an excellent piece at Mission News um, on what is Sharia law. I commend that to you. I'm going to put that link in my show notes um, today as well. One of the things, Ruth, that you know I think we're often praying for is that God would make a way, even you know when it seems to us that there is no way. Um, and I can just personally testify. We have a um, a woman in uh, in the community where I live, um, and she is a former Sharia law attorney in the Middle East, but her family now lives um, as refugees here in the middle part of the United States of America, um, and there is an openness to the gospel. They have attended at least two events of of like welcome hospitality at a church that I'm aware of in my community, and um, there's an openness to the gospel. And if if people um, if God is opening people to the gospel, then we have to. We have to recognize that sometimes he's driving them out of where they're living in order that he can have access to them in another part of the world. And so I just want us to tenderize our hearts um, to these people and certainly be praying um, in relationship to their plight. I'm asking that God would send um, dreams and certainly that uh, he would He would give people a measure of hope in the midst of something that seems utterly hopeless and totally broken. Um, but that seems to be where God operates um, operates the best. So thank you for those storylines as well. Talk with us about um, what's going on with USARIF. The State Department um, is not lifting up these situations in Afghanistan uh, and, and some other places around the world. So what, what's going on? I wish I could tell you. Um, the State Department dropped its list of countries of particular concern uh, last Friday. And it usually has a little bit of fanfare, so people are brought uh, into awareness about what the U.S. is taking as priority situations in terms of um, how they're going to be dealing with international religious freedom. Um, And the list dropped with hardly any fanfare. In fact, it got buried uh, on the last news cycle on Friday so that basically it got no, no attention at all. And on the the missing from the list, uh, obviously, there are a couple of countries that uh, are um, top of mind awareness, I think is what we would want to say. Nigeria and India were not on the list of countries of particular concern in terms of the designation, uh, which allows the State Department some leverage to respond to the countries as a country um, and say, we're watching this religious rights has is very directly connected to human rights, and you have some issues here. Um, we may have to come down with a little bit of firm handedness in terms of the aid that we give you if you don't improve the situation. So the CPC designation brings awareness and sheds some light on some disturbing issues on in the, the the I guess interference on religious freedom. In places. So Nigeria, obviously, you've got Fulani herdsmen, you've got the Islamic State of West Africa province, and you have Boko Haram, all targeting Christians. Um, So that's a clear 
indicator that there's been a problem. Nigeria has been on the list in the past, but it was taken off the list recently. India, you've got a member of the BJP standing in leadership of the country, and we've seen uh, many ways where government interference has now been suppressing what we would call harassment and moved into open oppression and persecution of Christians. Um, this has been something that has been well-documented where there's been a lot of attacks on on churches with impunity. And so it came to the attention of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, and they have been in connection with the State Department. So to have Nigeria and India missing from the CPC list really was kind of a surprise. And so the USRF um, issued a very strongly worded statement about their uh, disappointment that those two countries weren't on the list, um, using words like inexplicable and outrage and those kinds of things, uh, and, and accusing the State Department of turning a blind eye to particularly severe religious freedom violations. Now, after all saying all of that, when we were talking with the Voice of the Martyrs USA uh, about this situation, um, I also asked the question, where's Afghanistan on this list? Mm -hmm. Because you would think that Afghanistan, given what we were just talking about, would also be on the list because of the very widely documented um, uh, uh, eradication of Christians out of the country, whether it's they're being chased out or they're being executed or they're just disappearing. Um, there are a lot of uh, indicators that a very systematic religious persecution, religious cleansing has taken place in Afghanistan. So why aren't they on the list as well? These are questions that we want people to be considering and asking. Obviously, yes, talk to your congressman and ask those questions too, because the more uh, people speak out on these kinds of issues, the more the State Department's going to realize we're watching what's happening here, but also use these kinds of things to be praying fervently for the body of Christ. There is a vibrant body of Christ in India. There is a vibrant body of Christ in Nigeria. We've already talked about Afghanistan. And a lot of these people feel like the U.S. has forgotten them, feel like the body of Christ has turned their backs on what they're doing and the struggles that they have. They feel very alone. And so we just need to be walking alongside them and saying, you know, we're here. We'll hold up your arms when you can't hold your arms up anymore. Mm, I love that. I love that imagery. And it's so important. Um, all right. We were um, just noting this morning um, that at Mission News, you are reporting about a Mission Aviation Fellowship pilot detained in Mozambique. Um, can we talk about that in just a moment? Sure. All right. We're talking with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. She's bringing us up to speed on what's happening with believers around the world through a network of relationships that Mission News has um, with Christians in uh, in all kinds of places and spaces where you and I will likely never set foot, but where we need to set our hearts uh, in terms of the prayers that we raise today before a holy God. So we're going to continue our conversation with Ruth in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Oh! 
Continuing our conversation with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can find what we're talking about today at missionnews.org. I'll also put all of the links in the show notes, which you can get if you subscribe to the podcast Mornings with Carmen, wherever you get your podcasts. Talk with us, um, Ruth. Share with us this story out of Mozambique. I'm actually surprised this hasn't um, really gotten more attention, uh, and there's a there's a number of reasons for that. But um, the situation with Mission Aviation Fellowship is that they are trying to get an American pilot uh, released from a wrongful situation, a wrongful detention in the country in Mozambique. Um, the pilot is 31-year-old Ryan Coer, and he is actually working for Ambassador Aviation, which is a partner of Mission Aviation Fellowship. And um, he was flying in some supplies to an orphanage with a couple of South African nationals uh, November 4th. And uh, the police took some interest in what uh, he was carrying. Um, for whatever reason, it was fairly innocuous stuff like vitamins, medicines, over-the-counter type medicines, uh, food preservation stuff, things that are very typical if you're living in a very remote area and you're trying to care for a lot of uh, people in an orphanage type situation. So those were the supplies that they were bringing in. And police, um, after they were doing a security scan, decided that this was stuff to support um, an extremist insurgency in the northern part of the country, which is a problem, but um, because it was these were supplies that they were suspicious of, there was an arrest that was made, and Ryan basically disappeared into a prison. Um, when he was denied counsel, uh, he was denied access to his ambassador, uh, the U.S. ambassador, and uh, so it's been difficult to get more information from the situation, which initially MAF was like, okay, this will be something that'll be over pretty quick. But it took a very quick, it took a turn for, I guess, a more concerning direction when Coer was transferred to a maximum security prison. Still undetermined charges, other than he's going to be um, connected to supporting an extremist movement. And um, the other two security, uh, um, sorry, South African nationals that were with him, I believe, are still in custody. So this has been a developing situation. It's unlikely that Ryan will be released in time for Christmas. Uh, as part of normal MAF protocol, uh, the ministry brought the wife and kids home. He has a daughter. I mean, he has um, two sons, young children and a wife, and uh, they just brought them home in order to be able to care for the family while this situation is ongoing and there's negotiations. We don't have more information here. So it's something where MAF is saying, please pray. If you uh, c- you know, connect with your congressman, tell them you're watching the situation and urge people to do something about it. We do know that the U.S. is capable of negotiating release. Um, so that's what we're praying about right now. MAF is trying to get in there and talk to the right people to find out what's going on and, and really get through, um, to resolve the situation. So be praying because, um, this is something that sort of cropped up and I think it really went under the radar. Ryan, just to give people some perspective, um, grew up in Riverside and then Crestline, California, grew up in a Christian home, um, invited Jesus into his heart at the age of five. Um, took an interest in um, global missions through mission trips that he took as a teenager with his church and then became interested in aviation and marrying these two things together when he saw these Mission Aviation Fellowship missionary brochures um, in his church, knew that God was calling him to serve in this way. Um, he is a person who it just appears to have such a sweet, sweet spirit. 
Um, I'm going to be certainly praying for his wife, Annabelle, um, and their two very small children. Um, Ruth, you know, this is a really human story. And and when you bring it to us and we think about um, when you when you say the United States is obviously capable of negotiating the release of people wrongfully detained around the world, you know, immediately we think of the very, very high profile attention um, that Brittany Garner received uh, in Brittany Griner received in terms of her detention in in Russia, and then ultimately the very high profile um, prisoner swap made for her release. And I guess I'm wondering, like, you know, does do we have people from Mozambique in prison in the United States? And are we seeing already, already, are we seeing, you know, the possibility that, um, you know, hostage diplomacy is going to be on the rise? And I, I know that um, this young man was arrested. This event took place obviously prior to the release of Brittany Griner, but certainly in the context of all of those ongoing global conversations. So I just, I'm just anticipating that we're going to see more of this, not less. Yeah, I think I think the, the the risk that we're seeing here is that hostages taking hostages has proven to be an effective strategy to getting to getting prisoner swaps uh, uh, mandated. I guess, for lack of a better term, um, again, this is a situation where I felt like it really flew under the radar. An American mm-hmm. pilot, an American missionary has been wrongfully detained and very few outlets were actually carrying it or talking about it the more noise we can make about something like this the better it is for the grinder uh, for the uh, the Coer family mm-hmm. um I think we have um we have talked about um, occasions where supplies that have been sent to particular places around the world I'm thinking about supplies that were sent um, to serve the people of Ukraine and those were stockpiled in um, in warehouses that were destroyed by the Russians. You've got a story for us today um, about a situation in Nepal. It took place last month. Tell us what's going on with Keys for Kids Ministries. Yeah, I think we told you guys about um, a campaign that Keys for Kids uh, embarked upon with a partner in Nepal to send uh, storytellers, which are mm-hmm. uh, solar-powered audio players with the devotionals and, and the Bible and things like that. Um, and there was a huge celebration about those players actually making it, it, it into Nepal. 150 of them were distributed. And then we told you about a fire that took place in the warehouse where these units were being stored. And then all of them were destroyed, like 350 audio players were, were up in smoke, literally. Um, the partners in Nepal felt terrible about what happened. And so they were trying to figure out how to get on track to replace these units as a support to a lot of the work that they were doing uh, to an unreached people group in Nepal. And um, you're talking a loss of like $12,000 because these were storytellers that were sent on faith. They weren't weren't necessarily paid for all the way. And so Keys for Kids Ministries was in the process of raising the money to get these uh, pieces of equipment to their partners so they could get in people's hands because the, the urgency of reaching people uh, with the gospel so that they don't go to a crisis eternity was paramount for Keys mm-hmm. for Kids. Um, so in this situation, you know, all of a sudden you've got a fire and now you have a loss and you have to figure out how you're going to be able to replace the players and also cover not only the cost of the the, the players that were lost in the fire, but also replacing that whole shipment. So we were talking about this, I think, last month. And... Um, and Keys for Kids says says that the uh, generosity was 
astounding. Uh, there was a Giving Tuesday campaign, and the um, between that and and the work of the ministry partner, Keys for Kids raised enough support to pay for the destroyed te- storytellers, buy the replacements, and also have enough left over to invest in the Pashtun uh, translation of Keys for Kids. So that's, that's going to so be uh, settled for uh, Pakistan uh, and fast-tracked probably by six months uh, as opposed to what it was before. Um, so in this case, it's sort of like um, the cup overflows with blessing. And we just wanted to say thanks to listeners who heard about the story and who responded because this is showing how God turns a situation when you really you know, aren't sure what's going to happen uh, and it feels a little bit disastrous, he can turn it around for his good. Amen. Amen. So many important stories posted right now at um, missionnews.org. We can't get to them all. The one on the oral Bible is one I certainly commend to you, but there's also updates from Iran, Peru, and China, storylines that we have been covering along the way here on Mornings with Carmen. Ruth, as always, thank you so much for what you do every day, for the stories that you bring us, um, and for the hope that we share in Jesus Christ. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. But the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go. Make it so. Make it so. Make it so. Angels we have heard on high sweetly sing. All right, I clearly don't have time now to finish my um, discourse and discussion about... Zacharias and Elizabeth. Excellent question on the text line. Remember, you can text me during the show, 877-933-2484, asking, hey, if Elizabeth and Mary are cousins, then is Mary also in the line of Aaron? Here's what we know. Mary is certainly in the line of David, and she is um, in the Davidic line, a distant cousin of her husband, Joseph. So in the same way that Zacharias and Elizabeth are both in the line of Aaron, Both Joseph and Mary are in the line of David. Yeah, it's a power family for sure. More next on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.